Hello and welcome to another episode of Aconis, The Contractor's Life from Washington State. I'm your host, Scott Dresser. My guest for this episode uh, is a uh, Mr. Mike Morton. He's been here before. You might remember that name. He was in an earlier episode. He's a former member of the United States Army uh, as a combat uh, infantry medic, a police swap medic. He retired after 20 years service. Uh, he's been working private security and uh, he's been working uh, Oconus um, outside the U.S. as a police instructor and advisor on a State Department contract, and he's back on again. So with that said, uh, welcome to the show, Mr. Mike Morton. How you doing, sir? Hey, great, Scott. Good to be with you again. Thank you. Yeah, I, man, I tell you what, I'm excited. I was so delighted when, when you accepted my invite to come back on. Uh, we had a great conversation last time, and you and I have had a, um, our, our fair share of uh, conversations offline. Um, and uh, you know, some uh, you showed me some good stuff. Uh, I won't go into detail, but uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in this world right now, and a lot of people are really confused as to what's what's happening, what's going on, and why, and what it, you know, what's what's really happening, you know, outside of what we're being shown and told. Um, so, but before we get too far into that, and some of the things you and I were talking about, uh, for the people that are listening, can you recap, uh, for anybody that doesn't remember, uh, who you are, what you did, your background, yada, yada, uh, before becoming, uh, stepping into the position that you're in now? Yeah, well, pretty straightforward. Uh, I'm from a little mountain town in Colorado, right out of high school. I, I went in the service. I did a, I did a, an active duty hitch, and then got out, went to college and all that stuff, ended up with a master's degree and had great aspirations of, um, of teaching, and it just didn't happen. I was unemployed, you know, little cheesy jobs for two years. And then uh, one of my buddies who was a uh, former Marine, a recon Marine, said, hey, man, you got to come do police work. It's wonderful. We get to drive fast and get in fights and shoot weapons and we get paid for it. So <laughs> I started <laughs> my law enforcement um, career. And um, I later moved, after four years, I moved to um, Washington, and that was at the time that uh, during the Clinton administration, they had this COPS, COPS program, and it had a lot of federal money that was being booted into uh, state, local, and tribal law enforcement, so they needed people. I ended up in Vancouver, Washington, which is just north of um, Portland, Oregon, and the uh, Washington side and stayed there and uh, worked there and I ironically took a, an early retirement because of uh, well just things that were going on and, and went across the river and worked in a, uh, a bedroom community in Metro Portland. Finished up um, in November 1, 2013 I retired and uh, prior to that I, I also went back into uh, the Army National Guard again as a medic and I was doing that for six years got out 18 July 2001 <laughs> you know so I had just been out a couple of months when the the uh, Twin Towers got hit hmm. and I'm like oh god so I got I got called and said hey you're on the uh, pack your bags and go list for two years uh oh uh, okay you know so what are you gonna and I didn't get called up but 40 um, percent of the cops and firefighters did get called up because they were reservists and a lot of medical assets. Hmm. And so, you know, that was a, uh, that was a tough time because we were completely understaffed because of that, uh, you know, call up of all the reservists. And, and that was, if you remember during a time where 
Clinton had essentially gutted the uh, active duty forces, and so the reservists, National Guard, were essentially being used as a, as a de facto draft. Hmm. And uh, uh, more more motivated, we all signed up and raised our hand again. No big deal. But it was like nonstop work and and that kind of thing. I ended up retiring um, in 2013 and got into private security through a kind of a network of retired cops, very similar contracting. Hey, um, Doug said you're a good guy, and uh, so here, come on up, and we'll we'll give you a, a gear issue and weapons qual, and oh yeah, and bring a resume too. Yeah, it was kind of like the reverse of the way people normally do it, huh. and. Um, <laughs> That was in the state of Washington, and I did that. Uh, you know, they had various contracts. They had some maritime stuff. They had some training. They had static security, mobile security, and armed and unarmed, and I kind of did all of that. Hmm. And um, I, and I, looking back, I wish I'd have got into contracting earlier, back in, you know, kind of the heydays and you know, 04 and, and, and there. <laughs> but as it turned out, I, I ended up going in 2017, and it was on a, uh, a contract with a company with the uh, INL Bureau of International Narcotics and Law Enforcement Affairs, which I've, I've listened to a couple of your guests that have, have been on that in various parts of the world as well. So yep. it's a real big thing under the State Department and uh, Bureau of Diplomatic Security. So I essentially worked through uh, 2017, 18, 19, and a little bit of 20, and then the COVID thing hit. And we've been shut down since. And then the contract just ended, and, and I've accepted another, and I'm just waiting to roll out on that one. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, it's kind of weird. It's kind of, it's, it's um, you know, my, my deal is I'm, I'm bilingual, and, and so I'm in South America. So that's pretty much it. South America, Central America, Mexico, you know, because of the language ability and then the, uh, the need for my skill set. Right. No, that makes a huge difference. I mean, guys, uh, like you mentioned, uh, uh, there's been at least two guys, maybe three or four, that have talked about additional skills um, that contractors can get to make themselves more viable because as time goes on, things change, you know, and maybe 20 or 30 years later, they'll roll back to where they were, but by then it's too late and you're too old and you're retired. Uh, but if you want to stay in the game, you got to expand your skill sets. And that's that. what you're talking about, that second or third language, that makes a huge difference. Um, you know, and there's a lot of guys out there talking about this stuff kicking off again um, in various parts around the world. And I won't go into great boring detail about it. But um, you mentioned you're just waiting on yours, which uh, from what I understand, from what I've heard, and I've not heard a lot, but it sounds like uh, it's it probably won't be too long, too much longer before that actually happens, right? Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you know, even guys like us that are no longer in the game, you, you keep an eye on the game and what's going on, and you'll have friends who say, hey, man, I got this really good gig. You might want to look into it or this and that. And I'm lucky my wife's on board with me, and, and I'm kind of ass backwards on the thing. I, I'm, I'm 63, and I just can't slow down. I just get <laughs> as I get older, you know. Right, and right. So, uh, but but I'm, I'm fit and everything, and I can do anything, but... You know, a lot of us old guys, we get into training and program management and that kind of stuff because there's tons of young guys coming out with all kinds of hard skills. And, uh, you know, you got to let them have them time to let them have their shot at everything. And uh, there's still a, a very well-paying place for, for, you know, guys like me. And right. so, you know, I'm in the advising and teaching and, you know, embedded with the cops as we go out and that kind of thing. And 
what you know, I'd mentioned before, I think when we were talking that the the thing is there's different different standards for police work. And the Brits and the and the, the U.S. are are just completely uh, held in high esteem internationally. Hmm. So you know they like that, and it's you know human rights, that kind of thing, civil rights, and so that kind of policing is a newer kind of a gig. Whereas in, in a lot of countries, uh, they just don't have any training. They have substandard training. They have substandard um, weapons and equipment. I mean, just stuff like just the no maintenance, like the park and brake on the car doesn't work and the tires are flat. So you can't do any kind of um, pursuit or they don't have any kind of emergency vehicle pursuit training, especially in a high wheelbase uh, vehicle like a truck or something. So it just, you know, a, a zillion little things. Hmm. And, um, you know, they, they really look forward to having us there. And But we have to kind of walk a, a fine line because we're essentially attached in one way or another to to a u.s embassy so you're uh, around embassy personnel so you can't be a complete knuckle dragger <laughs> and um you know you'll go from doing a uh you know like an embassy cable brief to people and you're in a three-piece suit and you know nice and clean till you're out doing observation operations with the local police Okay, so uh, and that's so that's an interesting thing you mentioned. Now, you're I, there are a couple questions, but the first one: uh, do you do you prefer um, what you did earlier, or do you prefer what you're doing now, or or, or it's kind of like you know, uh, or was it just a, a, a practical choice? Or, I mean, uh, you know, because some guys they really enjoy that transition going into management, instruction, and training. Others, it's, you know, they just, they took it because that's, you know, you know, practically that, you know, it necessitated their changing. Yeah, well, with, with me, I, I don't really care for program management because it's like babysitting. It's, it's like being a fireman with an extinguisher and everywhere there's a little bitty fire you got to put out, whether it's <laughs> payroll or people or, you know, some kind of thing. I'm very comfortable with, uh, with mentoring and instruction. And uh, I'm also very comfortable carrying a rifle and a, and a sidearm round. Okay. So, but you, you get into a thing where, you know, like on paper, somebody's going to look at this and go, well, what is this, this old part doing applying for executive protection? <laughs> and they don't know me because if they know me, they, you, know, I'd, you know, they'd be comfortable with it. But, but I, you know, I, I get it. I feel you, you know, so, <laughs> because you don't, uh, you're just looking at a database or, or, or something right. like that. But um, at the same time, you could very easily be, be teaching a class and there'll be a, uh, an academy come and say, hey, you know, why don't you come to my office after class? I want to talk to you. And they want to see if you'd be interested in a little um, side kind of uh, training or protection, protective detail, kind of, kind of like that. But uh, everywhere we've been with, it's been hot that we've always had a, uh, a PSD so that to uh, look after us and take care of us. So. Okay. No, so that's okay. So that goes to my second question then. Uh, you know, how the guys, the uh, I don't know what term you want to use, but the indigenous population, how, how the locals there, how do they how do they take to uh, you said the Brits and the Americans generally are held in high esteem. But from your experience, your perspective there, how do the locals 
it seems like from what you and I've talked about before, how do they take to that training? I mean, do they really soak it up? Do they really say, hey, thanks, Mike, I really appreciate that? Um, or are they just kind of there because it's a paycheck? My personal experience has been they've been very, very uh, receiving and happy, you know, to to get the training. They like interacting with people from other countries. Uh, but at the same time, as as many of your guests have talked about, you have to integrate with the locals and you, you just can't be a jerk. Right. Because if you're as arrogant and you're, you know, the, the typical loudmouth uh, gringo or American <laughs> that have, you know, they have a, a vision of as well, well, you know, you're not going to get anywhere and it could be dangerous. But if you're just, I, you know, I always tell people, hey, I'm walking up the same trail up the same mountain as you guys. I'm just a little bit ahead of you. And it really goes a long way. Wow. Yeah, right. Okay. So so it sounds like what you're saying is, is that, uh, like you and I have talked about and, and other guys have, have mentioned, you know, as long as you don't go in there with a big ego, and you you know you check that at the door, and you're just one of the dudes. You're just one of the guys. You just happen to be the one that's in charge or the one that's that's instructing. If that's the only difference, then you're probably going to they're probably going to take to it really well, and you're going to have really good results. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and and I think it's a matter of how you present yourself too. So I kind of think of like military guys, for example, that um, you're in civil affairs. Well, you know that's a tough gig. Because you've got to you've got to understand the locals. You've got to integrate with them. You have to often understand that whoever is the perceived person of authority isn't really the person of authority, right? Mm. It's uh, like a, a, a tribal guy, or it's a, a police commandant. It may not be the mayor or somebody else. So you've got to figure out who's really is the decision maker and who's the gatekeeper. Mm. And so I just look at it like. And the way I like to approach uh, approach training is it's it's very different from what they're used to. They're used to kind of like, for example, what's better, uh, professor, a nine millimeter or forty five? And you say forty five is bigger, and, and then you just on the next question, and that's not necessarily <laughs> so. So what what I what I say to them is say, well, you know, what do you think? Tell me what you think, and then give me your your reasoning. Because I, I don't care if you say it's a twenty two long rifle, but you know, back up your theory. Hmm. And so then you've started them with critical thinking. And I said, now when we're done with the discussion, I'll, I'll tell you what I think, but what I think doesn't mean anything. Cause I'm not out, <clears throat> out there with you at three in the morning, you know, a week from today. Right. So you get them, you get them to thinking. So for example, okay, we're going to search a, uh, we're going to search a vehicle. We've got a vehicle stop. We've got a gun on the vehicle. Uh, how are we going to systematically clear that vehicle? Well, what do you think? I don't know. I don't have a clue. Well, that's a brand new, brand new guy, right? So you got to give him some direction. And, and I said, well, let me give you a hint. We're going to do it the same way every time. Okay. So we start from A and we go to Z and that way we don't miss anything. Right. And so kind of get him, you get him to start critically thinking and problem solving. Hmm. And, and if they have that ability, then, you know, they can go a long way. It's kind of like I prefer to teach instead of a technique, a, a principle. So you're going to clear a room. How are you going to clear the room? Well, there's a number of different ways to clear the room, you know, but you don't want to get somebody locked into uh, a paradigm when the principle, uh, for example, of clearing a room is, 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 is to enter, not get shot, 
cover everything and, and don't crossfire each other. That's the principle. And there's a number of different ways to do that. Right. And so, you know, uh, and, and that's going to depend. Is it, is it uh, you know, a corner fed room? Is it a center room? Is it, is it going up? Is it going down? Do we have rifles? Do we have handguns? Do we have a mix of both? That kind of thing. So, but if we under, all understand the principle, then we just adjust it to the situation and we just flow in there. It's not a big deal. Right. So, so those are the things. So there's a lot of things that goes into the training and instruction of the people that you're working, that you're training and instructing. And, and, and I mean, you, you cover down on everything from the basics all the way to the advanced stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you where we get kinked is, is with law of the particular country. Mm. So like I'm just finishing, you know, what, three years in Mexico and they have a, uh, they changed their penal system in like in 2009. So they're just now, it's only been 10 years, right? They're getting around to getting it dialed in. And the thing is, is, is I'm not a legal authority in Mexican law. I'm not an attorney. So it's a disservice to them to tell them so. I mean, I can read it out of the book as easy as they can. So what I normally try to do is line up an attorney to do that, that section of the thing. And mm. then we can work like little workshops and scenarios of like, was this a, a hot pursuit, that kind of thing? What part of the legal or penal code does it go under? That type of thing. But uh, everything else, yeah, it's it's from the ground up. Mm. But it's, for example, we had one where we're going to do weapons. So we do uh, short guns and then we do long guns. Okay, so here's a little video of uh, how it works. And it's a semi-automatic. And mostly it's a, it's a Beretta 92 F, but it could be anything. And so, you know, but this is how, how the gas works and cycles the weapon, that kind of thing. Okay, great. So now we're going get, we to get, we get weapons in here and we're going to uh, field strip them, clean them, take the work, put them back together. And we do that like all afternoon. So we're telling the, uh, we have a liaison. Yeah. Hey, we need these, uh, we need handguns. Okay, fine. Then they bring in rubber ones, right? Hmm. <laughs> like, no, we need real ones. And they go, well, can't you just, can't you just do it with this? And I go, no, I can't just do it. I mean, they're so out of touch. Huh. I said, now we can, we can use those for team movement. Sure. That's fine. But we're, we're talking about physically field stripping the weapon and how to clean it and how to check it for broken parts and put it back together and function check it. Right. And, and so just completely out out of touch. Hmm. And, and then it's like, okay. Um, for example, normally we're at an an academy to have an army. So everybody's got the same weapon, but we've been to a couple where everybody had something different. So you had anything from rusty old 38 specials to Jericho's to Glocks Hmm. to Berettas. And you're just like, oh, okay. So, do you know how to take your own? Do you know how to take your own gun apart? Well, I, I saw it once. Okay. Well, I've seen it once myself. So let's do it together, and we're gonna kind of get through it, you know. Huh. And so, but then it, you know, but we, we try to take that and make it a um, uh, make it a lesson. Like, okay, so here, this and this and this, these are all different. But guess what? The top part comes off. And the spring comes out, and so does the barrel. So don't get too hung up on it, right? <laughs> uh, so, so these, so it, it sounds, you know, there's a. I guess what I'm trying to, um, 
you know, there's there's a lot of assumptions and uh, or presumptions, uh, stereotypes, whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, I've had this discussion sort of with other people. It's kind of like, you know, there's all kinds of stereotypes that are around the world. I said, you know, we all have them. I said, embrace them. I do. You know, most things don't bother me, you know, um, about yeah. when it comes to that kind of stuff. It, ju- it just doesn't. Some people it really does and other, you know, but whatever. I guess when I, so with that said, the question I have is that, you know, do, are they catching, it seems like from what I'm gathering, from what I'm hearing, seeing and reading, and kind of what you're saying, is that they're starting to catch on, that they, that they, they really, they really want to do this, they really want to do it right, they really want to make difference, they really want to make a change, um, and, and uh, but it, it, it takes people like you every day, yeah, that's, but we got to do it this way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's have a standard. I think that's where we're really getting down to. Okay. Let's have a standard of, of, uh, well, for example, um, they would like us to teach drill and ceremony. Okay. So Hmm. formation, left face, right face, all that good stuff, but they do it a different way because they have a, a a French tradition and it's, it's completely Hmm. different from our, I mean, the, the uh, the commands and the preparatory commands are different, and, and they're kind of goose stepping around. And we just said, hey, look, we'll, we'll get one of your guys for that that block of instruction, but yeah, you know, we're not going to do that. Right. Um, That's now, interesting. Now, French how, down there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because um, you know, French uh, the gendarmes they have a uh, a big big influence in Mexico. It's incredible. We well, huh. remember um, uh, Napoleon. He he went broke fighting the Mexicans, and that's where we got, you know, the Louisiana Purchase. That's where we, he sold all that land to, to continue this, this failed war against Mexico. So they have a big, big influence of it down there. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I guess I, it just never occurred to me that, that they would, you know, fought them, and yet they retained that stuff. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really something. It, I, I was the same way. I thought, wow, where does this fit in? <laughs> right. You know, I could see... <laughs> Spanish, but I've seen Spanish troops, and they're not not much different than, than anybody else. You know, it's like the Brits. The Brits, you know, they're a little different than us, but it's, you know, it's, it's easy to pick it up. But man, this, the French stuff, and I've seen it in South America too. I've seen it in Bolivia. I've seen it in others, where I mean, it's it's unbelievable. It's this real parade ground stuff, and you know, I I couldn't do it to save my soul. So we have somebody else step block of instruction, right? Well, we get down <laughs> down to brass tacks. Right. Well, no, and that makes sense. You you call in the specialist or the expert on that subject matter so that you make sure you get it right. Uh, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. You, uh, I got to ask you. You know the uh, the the uh, there. It's been brought up before, and, and one of the guys I talked with, uh, you know, he talked a lot about the corruption in the country where he's at, and uh, you know, and. He and I, there was, it wasn't a language barrier so much. I think there was some language barrier, but I think more than that, he was just really super nervous because he'd never done this before. Because uh, he and I have uh-huh. communicated previously and, and didn't have those kinds of issues. Um, but I guess you know, what I'm curious to know, based on what you're seeing down there, it, it, and from what I've seen, it looks like these guys take their jobs pretty seriously. It seems like they really are, I mean, they they really are trying to make a change and, a, and put a dent in, in all the, uh, the crime, the cartels, the drugs, all of it down there. Um, I mean, a, am I seeing it right? I mean, it, are these, I mean, these guys really want to make a difference? Yeah, I think so. I think you, you've got a number of factors. One, 
kind of like, I guess, in any country, but like the U.S., uh, police work is a blue-collar, pretty blue-collar job. Now, nowadays, it's kind of a shitstorm with you know everything that's going on politically. I wouldn't want to do it for anything. Hmm. But traditionally, um, firefighter, police officer, those are blue-collar jobs. You're never going to run out of fires. You're never going to run out of bad guys. So it's pretty, pretty uh, secure job. And so I think there's that. And then also, as you're saying, you know, they, they, they'd like to, to make a difference. But I'll tell you, my, my personal experience is they're, they're fighting an uphill battle. They're mm. really fighting an uphill battle with, uh, because the bad guys are just, uh, they're too well-funded, they're too well-trained, mm. and the benefits are better. You know, it's huh. just, it, it's tough. It's tough. So you see a lot of guys that are working both sides against the middle, or they'll just switch sides. Hmm. I mean, the, one of the original um, cartels in, in Mexico, the Cetas, were a, a whole battalion of Mexican Special Forces Army that went over to the bad guys. Wow. And, man, I mean, they, they rained terror down on everybody. Now, that's been about three generations back now, but the original Zetas, they were nobody to fool with. And so all that violence down there, I'm speaking uh, specifically of Mexico right now, is between cartels. It's just it's just hmm. buying for territory and uh, and resources. But it's spilling over into the general populace across industry, across domain. I mean, across everything, right? I mean, it's oh oh sure sure everything across the border. I mean, there's right. all kinds of cartels in you know like Phoenix and Tucson and um, Albuquerque that. Okay, so I, I had a load of dope. I got ripped off by another gang. So I got to come up with some dope or it's going to, you know, I'm going to get my head chopped off. So it's pretty, pretty straightforward math. So I'll just snag some poor slob walking down the street with their earbuds in who has no situational awareness and ransom them off for, for $20,000. And, and I'll make my payment to my boss. So hopefully I won't get killed. Wow. So, you know, wow. like that. <laughs> you know, I was going to ask, you know, because I asked this one guy, uh, you know, if he felt like he had a target on his back, uh, you know, speaking up and talking about this stuff. And, you know, so I guess that's my question. You know, do I mean, I, I have no doubts that there are people that you're instructing and training that are in this program um, and in other programs around Mexico that that for their own reasons and maybe a lot of times the same reasons they want to make a difference. They want it to change. And you said that they feel like they're, you know, that there must be a feeling of desperation at some point, kind of like some Americans that we hear about are feeling hopeless and desperate because it's kind of like, you know, it seems like everybody's saying the same thing, but nothing ever changes. It, it just keeps getting worse. Um, so are, are you, do you, do you see that? Do you experience that? Are you witnessing that amongst them? I mean, what's that sense on the ground? I mean, do they feel like they can do it on their own or, do they, or are they saying, hey, Mike, we need help, man? Yeah, I think that they feel that the flow is we'll do the best we can and we'll accept any kind of help that we can via instruction or material or, or just money. Because, I mean, this, this INL has kicked literally billions of dollars into, into Mexico alone hmm. since its founding uh, back in the Bush administration. It, it's just incredible. So that's part of it. It's like, who's going to say no to all this free money, helicopters, <laughs> and boats, right? <laughs> right. Wow. Uh, you know, and that's another thing. You know, these things um, take time. But sometimes people go, well, okay, how much time? Because it's been X number of years. Um, 
I mean, do you, do you do you sense that they're making progress down there? I mean, do you do you, or do you think they're just kind of like you know showboating it and just you know milking the cow, so to speak? Well, I'll tell you, if you ask a boots on the ground guy, you're going to get milk in the cow. If you ask a, an embassy guy, he's going to say, "Oh, we are just absolutely." changing lives and futures because hmm. that's, that's their venue right yeah because they, they have to get that next congressional appropriation and they're not going to say hey boy it's a, it's a big shit storm down here i don't know if we can handle it anymore <laughs> wow right kind of yeah kind of like uh you know people talk about uh what's going on at the border crossing between america and mexico that uh you know where they you know it's it's um you know, where there's that sense of desperate, there's, there's two, you know, there's one side of saying, hey, it's just fine. There's a little challenge, not a big deal. We got it under control. And the other side saying, no, you don't. We got the pictures and the evidence to prove it otherwise. Um, you know, that seems to be a common story, though, in many hotspots around the world. Um, you, you know, and, and, and I asked these guys, you know, do you, you know, what's it going to take? I mean, you know, what do you need? I mean, you know, America can't fight your wars forever. You know, at some point you got to take it over and do it on your own. Um, do you sense that, that Mexico or other places down there, do you sense that they have um, the only thing they need is the money, but they have everything else. They have the will, they have the drive. They just need the money. Yeah, well, and then you've got thrown into that in the mishmash are the the politics as well, and the politics here in in Latin America, they have the the left side party and the right side party and the centrist party, probably just like anywhere else. But the communist party, whether you call them communist or socialist, you have another various brands, but essentially hardcore communist Cuban style. They're always running for president here. I mean, and Bolivia just elected one. Uh, Ecuador's about to elect one with cartel money pushing his uh, his campaign. Hmm. So you know you can you can kind of figure that out. So essentially, if if you've got all these guys from the U.S. and they're in there trying to do counter drug operations and training, and you get a communist president elected that's backed by narco money, mm. then, you know, you're, you're not so popular anymore. Right. And, you know, your, your contract may just get, uh, get cut. Huh. And yeah, I know this from personal experience recently. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I don't think we need you guys down here now. <laughs> right. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. And I get, you know, that's interesting you bring that up because I don't think that's something that I've really thought. I mean, I've thought about what you just said, um, but I've never really thought long and deep about it. But, you know, uh, that makes a lot of sense that our best intentions and we can throw countless amounts of money and resources into an effort like that. But if we don't have the backing of the local populace, you know, from, you know, both at the political level and at the societal level, uh, we're not going to get very far, are we? No. Well, just take a look at Afghanistan. <laughs> We've been there now 20 years and the Russians before that. Right. And, you know, respectfully, what's what's changed? Right. You know, and that's that's a that's a long history. And I mean, even look into the Middle East, I mean, right after uh, in the 20s, hmm. when the, you know, Britain came over and was taking all, all this 
oil resources, and eventually it came to a head, and people got pissed off, and they decided, well, you know, I think Allah wants us to uh, to have this gig ourselves. And so, you know, a lot of uh, monetary and political and cultural aspects go into it, besides just, you know, a desire to, you know, have a law, rule of law type of country. Hmm. So do you, you know, the, do, there's a, you know, it's been brought up, the, the so-called war on drugs, which, uh, uh, I, as I recall, it, it actually got started back in the Nixon era, the Nixon uh, administration, uh, but became a, a more or less big thing with the Reagan administration, which is what most people think of when they think of the war on drugs. That's been going on for a long time, and I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. But, I mean, it's... Do you, I mean, do you see that that's kind of, would you say from your perspective, is that kind of like, is that what's kind of like driving everything? Because it seems like what we see on the news, when we hear, read on the news, it seems like it, it, it's almost always, regardless of whether it's sex trafficking, human trafficking, all the other stuff, it always seems to revolve around drugs. And, and it seems like no matter what we do, nothing comes of it. Um, but from your perspective, from what I mean, how how do you see that? Yeah, well, drugs is is, is a form of money, and we we've talked about it before. It's it's a currency, so you know we'll trade drugs drugs being whatever whatever's happening, whether it's uh, opium or heroin or fentanyl or ketamine, whatever whatever's happening, and so we need that for um, weapons. For example, we need it for aircraft. We'll trade it for the schoolgirls, you know, whatever is going on. Hmm. And so, you know, it's a uh, it's essentially a non-traceable form of currency. Hmm. And so, I, I don't see it going around or going away very anytime soon. I mean, take a look, take a look at the the opium fields in in uh, in Mexico, the opium fields in Afghanistan. They're still there. Right. They're still there. I mean, the, the one the one in Guerrero. In, in that state in, in Mexico, it's 41,000 acres, and that's a big garden. Wow. Right? <laughs> and I said, well, are you guys going to, like, burn that down anytime soon? Well, we're, we're, uh, we're <clears throat> analyzing it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and that's interesting because, I mean, I've talked about that with other guys, too. And, you know, for example, the uh, opium fields in, in Afghanistan, you know, the farmers, you know, the, the little peasant farmer, the family farmers, uh, maybe, but, you know, because— when when we hear about it in the news, at the policy and political level, they'll always argue that, you know, yeah, we could do that, but then we're taking away their livelihood. What are we going to replace it with? Uh, yeah. Same thing down there, right? Well, here where I live in Colombia, it's, it's just like that. You've got the cocoa farmers, and they're like, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to grow tomatoes? Because I don't get the same market value out of a tomato as I do for, you know— um, a uh, hundred pound bag of coca leaves. <laughs> and so, it, and, and it's just, it's the same thing in, in Mexico with the, the gomeros, you know, the guys that grow the, the opium as well. You know, I've grown an opium I mean, for generations. Hmm. And so, and, and it's, it's like, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just growing a flower. And they don't consider themselves as being part of the drug trade or anything. Huh. So, you know, it's, it's okay. If you've got an alternative, give me an alternative. Right. And, we, we don't have an alternative. Yes. <laughs> so, so so far, nobody's come up with a good one, right? Yeah. No, and, and the president here, he just recently started the aerial spraying of the, of the coca uh, plants again. And so, okay, so now they're dead. So now the people have no money. 
and that toxic runoff is getting in all the streams and rivers and people are drinking it and bathing in it. So, you know, are, are you hmm. doing any, any better? Wow. So, and, I, and honestly, I don't have an answer. I don't, I, I just don't have an answer. Hmm. I just consider like I, I'm a foot soldier. And if you're going to go teach me, uh, send me to teach someone how to, how to stop a car or go through a building without getting shot and pay me six figures, man, I'm gone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, speaking of which, um, uh, you you and I were talking too about uh, you know uh, we mentioned one of them you know what what it takes to uh, get into this you know get in the field or industry of contracting um, and it takes a lot of things actually um, especially if you're going to go outside the the continental U.S. Um, you know one of them was you know a second or third language but you know for the people that are listening you know for the guy or the gal that's that's saying you know i've thought about maybe signing on with this or that federal agency or um you know getting into contracting myself um can you cover down uh for the people that are listening uh you know what are the things from your experience and your viewpoint what what are some of the things that they should have maybe need to have or should consider before uh, signing on the dotted line or, t- or taking that next step? Well, I think the, the first thing you need to do is have your own personal house in order because you've got a clearance, right? Hmm. You're going to get something that was an MRPT, which is what I have, or, you know, a secret or, or more. You know, you may get a TS with poly. So you have to have your affairs in order. So no DUI arrest or, you know, you shoplifted something at the store or you yeah, you, know, you got into a domestic violence beef, any of that kind of stuff. You, you know, you're you're done. You can't right. Um, right. be in bankruptcy or have you know all those all those <laughs> things that go into to an investigation. They're just going, hey, sorry, pub, right. because there's a lot of people that are that are applying for this kind of stuff, and and, and we're not going to fool with that. And it also costs for them to to investigate that. But if they just pull you up on on a, basically run you and you've got a bunch of unpaid traffic tickets and, and crashes and hmm. you haven't paid on your credit card for six months and they've shuttered well you're you're done they're gonna you're not trustworthy wow. and you're also possibly open to um you know being pressured financially like hey you know what we'll take care of all this stuff but you know we want to know what's on the computers that huh. kind of thing so that that's, huh. that's the first thing i would i would suggest to get your or you know like a lot of guys uh, older child support you know they they may not have had a job for a while, and they haven't paid their delinquent their child support. Forget huh. it. They'll 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 flag your your um, passport, and you won't even get out of the country. Wow. So, you know, that's the to me that's the obvious first step is get everything in order. Now, if you're just coming out of the military and you still have a clearance, I and mean, most guys have a secret anyway, no matter what they're doing. Well, hey, you're you're good to go, you know, and it's good for a, a little while before it, it expires, and you have to redo it. But um, that would be the first thing, and then I think probably having a realistic view of I'm not going to jump jump into, you know, a $150,000 a year contract. I got to, I got to start somewhere. So, um, and you have to establish yourself and your reputation. And, and as you well know, once you, once you do that, well, your name gets around the little circle because there's, there's, you know, still a finite number of companies that are bidding these, these particular kinds of contracts. Right. So, you know, there, there, there's definitely work out there, and and you know, I, I've said before, start, you get in how you can, and and do good, and then you know, jump on into your your next contract. And oftentimes, if they get uh, like the ones that I'm doing, they're they're nice because you get a it's a year with four option years. So normally, if you're on, you're on for five years, unless hmm. you just don't like it. 
you know, right. then you're out of it. Or, or you foul up, of course. Right. <laughs> right. Aisle or window <laughs> on the way home. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it really, it's a, it's a rare breed. Now, uh, a lot of the guys I work with that are, that are veterans, it's, you know, it, it's a lot easier. Right. But regardless, there's a lot of times, uh, people that have big, big egos and people that are just plain quirky. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, yeah, you know, so that's interesting that, you know, these, so from your experience and from what you've gathered, what you know, so let's say somebody that's listening says, yeah, I've got some of this and I got some of that. Are these the things that a person can rectify, take care of, clear up, and and eventually get cleared and get that job or is it one of those things where if they've got some of this stuff just go do something else because you'll never get it no you can clean yourself up because you know regarding a uh, a clearance they they use the whole person concept like okay yeah i know i know you fouled up you know but um let's let's see what you can do and you know, honestly, you can get with like a, you know, a, an FSO of a company and say, hey, listen, what, what do I need to do? Can you give me ABC? Hmm. And they'll tell you, yeah, you need to, you need to um, pay off or negotiate a payoff on that, that delinquent credit card. You need to become current with your state taxes. And then, you know, because even like, for example, when I got my, my clearance in, in 17, I was um, two months left on a, uh, a bankruptcy, a five-year bankruptcy, because I hmm. got hit during the, the 2008 thing and I lost six houses. I had a bunch of rental properties. Wow. And so, you know, they look at my credit report and it's, it's up to the moon and then it drops down and then it goes back up and they said, oh, well, you're, you've taken substantial steps to, to fix yourself. So no, no big hmm. deal. So, hmm. so I had, I had that to look at. I had a, have a foreign wife, you know, so foreign influence is a big deal. They were really uh, because I had a, you know, the, the interviewer came to my house, you know, and they wanted to know about, you know, how we met, how long we've been married and all that. Hmm. It, did I have any foreign bank accounts? Did I have any you know, foreign property, that kind of thing. And then I had been in a, uh, a police shooting and they wanted to know, you know, if I came out of that, okay. I said, yeah, I, I came out fine. The other guy, not so good, but, um, you know, <laughs> So, you know, justified use of force. So, so they right, wanted to know right. about that. And, and it was all, it was all very straightforward. Now they didn't, you know, nut up about anything. Let's go, like, okay, well, it all looks good. And huh. so, but you know, the majority of the things that kink someone up for a, for a clearance is financial, hmm. financial liability. No and, kidding. So the person that, that's like, in yeah, deep yeah. debt. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because, okay. you know, somebody could, could uh, essentially leverage that, you know, with an, an extortion for, for, and information classified or whatever. Gotcha. And you take a look at some guy that's coming out of the service, you know, they're 21, 22 years old, right? And so, and, and they may even get thinking while they're still active duty with their, their clients because what, what do you do when you come off of a military post? First thing you see, right? You see payday loans and strip joints mm-hmm. and used car sales, right? So they fleece you of your money before you ever get 100 yards. Right. So it's pretty easy to get financially kinked up when you're young, your young fellow right. Right? or young gal. Right. Because you, you don't think about it, you know, because uh, you know, a year from now, oh, my God, that's like, you know, a century. From now. <laughs> and then, you know, you're sitting down with somebody and, and it's like a really good job. You know, you're going to get it, maybe get a job, $80,000 right out of the service. And they go, man, you know, what about this, uh, this credit card? What about this collection? Well, I don't even know. What's the collection? And huh. so, 
you know, but there's there's services that will clean up that stuff for you. Okay. You know, uh, negotiate it for you and everything, legal services. So that that's pretty easy. But you got to at least get your own credit report, hmm. uh, which you can get for free. You got to at least get that, and you have to be able to explain away, you know, sufficiently any kind of you know things that you've got crossways with the law, whether it was a DUI or an eviction or you quit a job. That's another one. Yeah, I told my job, my, my boss to shove it up their ass. And I left and I go, well, you know, we're not too keen on that stuff with this company. So, so what's going on? You know? <laughs> right. That's funny. Um, but, you know, that's, that's interesting. Uh, that harkens to a very important point, uh, you know, what they call the interviewer or whatever you want to call them. Uh, <laughs> some guys call them interrogator. But, uh, you know, uh, it's, you know, I, you know, they. I, I remember having one in particular, in a face to face, say, "Hey, man, you know, uh, just don't lie to me. Just tell me the truth. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly." He said, and and, and uh, long story short, Mike, it, it turned out just fine. Uh, you know, just like on the questionnaires, you know, um, they'll tell you, and like you said, the FSO and other people will tell you, you know, uh, just be honest, just tell the truth. You know, because they know, and I think you said, you know, the, the whole part, they take everything into consideration, you know, because they know whether you're lying or not for the most part. And if they catch you in a oh, lie, yeah. you might as well just write yourself off. Ain't never going to happen. But if you tell the truth, if you're honest about it, they probably already know about it. Right. What's that old adage? Uh, don't ask a question you don't already have the answer to. <laughs> so, sure. uh, uh, but yeah, no, that's great advice. Um you know, so there is hope for people out there that, that are in what they feel uh, is a situation that, that's, that's hopeless. But it, it may take them time, though, right? A year, two, three years, whatever it takes, right? But it can be done. Yeah, yeah, whatever it takes. And the thing is, you know, the, the time to start is now. And everybody should do that just for their own, you know, personal financial temperature. Mm. To say, hey, what's going on? So if nothing else, if nothing else, Scott, you may find on your own credit report that, that somebody has been using your information identity theft. Mm. You had no idea. If right. For no other reason, you know, you go, well, wait a minute. I didn't, I didn't buy all this stuff over here and then not pay for it. And mm. so then you have to reconcile that. And, and if you wait till having an interview to do that, well, you're kind of behind the, the ball game on that. Thing. <laughs> I mean, when I had my, when I had my interview, the guy came over and he was, he was a, an older guy, retired FBI. Uh, 30 years with the bureau and he came over and and uh, I was the only one in the house because you know my wife left her so we could have the, the space and I had the whole dining room table with files all set out you know ABC organized and I'm in a three-piece suit and and so we set the stage of like oh this guy's got his shit together right hmm. he's not in a in a in a wife beater t-shirt and has all <laughs> of his shit in a shoebox right he, he I, I asked him for his old passport with all the stamps in it, and it's right here. I asked him for his most current um, credit report, and it's right here. Hmm. So, you know, they go, okay, well, yeah, this, this fellow's got it together. And he, and so tell me, but tell me what was going on. And so, um, you know, and I remember mine, I had, I had a bunch of rental properties. I had people that were in them, of course, long-term tenants, and they didn't pay because they were out of work. And he said, uh, so why didn't you evict these people? And I said, well, one, it costs a grand to evict someone, and, and I'll get the same kind of person coming in to rent that's new that has the same issue. There's just no work because of this, this uh, economic situation. Hmm. And so he goes, so you left all those people to stay in the house? And I said, yeah. And he goes, so you took a hit on, for all these people? 
And I said, yeah, they're long-term tenants. They're good people. And hmm. he just closed his file, smiled, and he goes, yeah, I don't see any issues here. Wow. Wow. You know, that, that, that says a lot, and, and that kind of uh, does a really good job of uh, specifying what uh, one of the things I was going to mention, which is, uh, you know, when, when you're talking about, you know, when they look at the person, they say, well, why didn't, you know, why, you know, they want people that have a pretty good sense of themselves and, and know what's going on in their own life, because if you don't, what else don't you know about? And they want to make, and they don't want you over there working, uh, you know, with the, uh, you know, what'd you call it? The, without situational awareness, you know, it's kind of like if you don't care about your own life, you know, you don't care about anybody else. And, and what you're talking about is, is that that's exactly what we want. We want people to care, right? Well, yeah, and, and it's like, you know, that whole person concept again. So they look on there and say, well, I've got your, your, your traffic history here, and I see that, you know, you've got a, uh, you know, you're driving crazy and you, and you crash your car. Nobody was hurt, so so what's going on? Well, I had, a, I had an argument with my wife. I was mad. I left driving wild. It was stupid. I wrecked the car. Hmm. Now, it's okay, and, and that was three years ago, right? Yes, yeah, three years ago. Well, you know, that they can see that, okay? And because, but if they go, you're having this like every two months. Well, they're not going to hire that. <laughs> right. That, yeah, yeah. That's that's the difference between a guy having the occasional binge and, and drinking every night, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, just like so, it, is what are, what are you about? You know, not this particular incident. And gotcha. uh, I know guys that have had like had two bankruptcies, and but they got it together. They got everything paid off. And you don't even necessarily have to have things paid off. You just have it in the process. Like, I owed the IRS ten grand, and I, they put me on a payment schedule, and I'm six months into it, and I'm golden. Okay, fine. So you're fixing yourself. That's all they want to see. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. No, that that makes total sense. Um, you know, because you know, from a, geez, man, if I was an employer and I was going to hire somebody, I mean, those are the things you're looking for, right? Um, you know, I'm I'm not, you know. Guys told me before, Scott, you can't interview people. Why? Because um, I'm too direct. You got to ask them a certain way. <laughs> so, but uh, but those are the things you're talking about. I mean, that's that's the important. Th those are the those are some of the traits and characteristics we're talking about. This, the guys and the gals that do this work, that are successful at it, that can that can do it long term. That have been, you know, you're not going to be doing it for ten or twenty years if if you don't got your your act together, right? Correct, you know, and, and the thing is, especially if you're, you're talking about an entry kind of thing, now you get tenured guys that, okay, so we want a police instructor. Well, they, they want a minimum, a minimum of 10 years hmm. sworn service, and that's the bottom, you know. Now, if you've wow. got 15, 20 or better, well, you know, that's, that's even better. Okay. You know, so they're not going to have to scrape around at the bottom of the barrel to get candidates. There's really good candidates out there. But if you're just starting out and you have more to bring to the table, so, okay, so I got a bachelor's degree. Okay, well, that's something. I, I speak French. Okay, well, hey, that's something, too. So hmm. now we're talking about potential opportunities in Africa, right? Hmm. So, you know, the, the, the language thing is, is really a, a great tool to have in your toolbox as well, whether you have it just naturally, like you may be a, you know, a French or Spanish or Arabic speaker, you know, that kind of thing. Or you learned it later, you know, and you're and you're fluent. It just, you know, it opens up doors that wouldn't normally be there. Is is you know my personal experience, and um, yeah, because you can, you find a lot of guys. Yeah, you know, I, I know tons of guys that can that can clear rooms and stop cars and and uh, all that kind of stuff. You know, but you know, can you do it 
in a foreign context and can you explain it in complete detail, including concept, in their native language? Mm. And that's a whole different. Yeah, that that that's that's way different. So let me. I got to ask you then. How did you learn? Uh, you said Spanish, right? Uh-huh. Did you learn it in country the hard way, or did or did you pick up some basic language skill before you got there? You know, I kind of learned it the hard way, and then I, I later went to school and cleaned it up. Um, I had some time in in the service uh, where I was in Central America, and so I, you know, kind of picked it up a little bit there, at least at least a, a base kind of uh, ability. And then I later went to um, went to college, and and you had a, you had a, a language requirement, so I had two years of Spanish in college, hmm. and I really enjoyed it. But I, I just took every opportunity to to horn in on people's conversations and talk to them. And then later, I married a Colombian woman, so it you know, and then hmm. I live in the country now. But um, you know, it's been the language of the house for fifteen years. <laughs> Kind of hard not to learn it, then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm like I, I speak English to my daughter, who's twelve. But huh. besides that, um, you know, you're the the first guy I've spoken English to since the last time I talked to you. <laughs> wow! Oh man! Well, you know, and that's amazing that you're able to. You know, I've met a you know talk to guys that that's the case, and they sometimes stumble over their English has been so long. That's amazing that you're able to keep it. Um, you know, yeah, well, see, like my kiddo, she's, she's, she's completely, utterly bilingual. She has no accent, neither one. Huh. And so she just twitters around and I told her, you, you just stay with it. But I, but I make it a point to really keep her clean on her English because she doesn't, you know, everything is in Spanish, the TV, school, friends, mom, everybody. So I want her to keep her dialed in so that, um, she'll be able to have that skill as she's, she's older. Right. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those kind of things, but yeah, I, I, and it's funny because when you're bilingual or trilingual, multilingual, you'll find a word that doesn't fit in your native language and you'll, you'll steal one from the other one and stick it in there. (laughs) Uh, Right. (laughs) Okay. So it's kind of, yeah, it's it's kind of funny, you know, and, um, because no one language can cover everything and communication as, as you well know from being overseas, uh, a lot of it's not verbal anyway. It's facial expressions and hand gestures and, and yep. tone of voice and everything. You know, you can figure out what's going on. And yep. so once you get to the point where that's that's um, fluent, now to me it's like you know, when, when you, you think about it, I, I, you don't think in English, you think in a different language, then, then you're there. Right. But, you know, the, for example, the, uh, uh, the State Department, they have um, they have language tests, you know, and they'll grade you if you're like basic, intermediate, advanced, native, fluency, that kind of. Thing. Hmm. And so, you know, you'll have a particular contract that has to say, well, I'm just I was just looking at one. It's in, in Cote d'Ivoire in in Africa, and they speak French there. And they said, well, you need a three three level, which is a fluent level. And so, if you haven't got that, well, then they got to hire a translator. So now you got two people doing one job, and that you know they're not going to do that. That just doesn't fly. Hmm. So, and then you get well, what what American guy just wandering around speaks fluent French? Well, not many, but some. Huh. Not many, but some. And so those guys are going to snag a nice, good-paying job. Right. And now there's a lot more Spanish speakers in the U.S. I mean, 
the U.S. population-wise, I think, is the second or third most uh, populous Spanish-speaking country in the world. Huh. Because, of, you know, we used to be Mexico and uh, New Spain before that, and then, of course, the influx of immigrants. And so Spanish is it's not difficult to find a, a bilingual Spanish uh, uh, North American, right? Hmm. But, um, you know, then you get to do they have do they have a clearance do they have the ability and desire to live and work oconus on and on and on right can they maintain that can they maintain that without getting in trouble once they're you know in the uh, the country <laughs> where they're going to work right well you know that's interesting uh, you mentioned africa and uh, it's not the only country or continent but it seems that the french and uh, is a fairly common language over there in Africa. That uh, oh yeah, very very common. So so somebody that, that knows French, um, if they're looking for work, uh, could look to the uh, the continent of Africa if they're so inclined. Um, oh very yeah very much so. There, there are jobs all over and 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 there's whole companies that do. For example, I'm I'm involved with companies that are just you know their their piece of the pie is is of course Latin America. And others are in Africa, and and, and particularly with um, INL and then DOD's got got a bunch of contracts over there too, and it's, it's soldier skills, right? Hmm. So okay, great, we're going to do a rifle team, super, you know, done that before, and uh, but it's all in French, right? Or you're going to do, you know, how to do uh, uh, an indirect fire infantryman, that kind of thing, and but you got to speak their language. Hmm. So yeah, but French is French is a first language of a number of African countries, right? Wow. Uh, you know, and, you know, there, there's a lot of ways to pick up these languages. I mean, there, there's there's apps and, and courses everywhere, you know, so it, it these days it shouldn't be a particularly difficult thing to do. Right. If somebody wants to pick up a second or third language. Yeah, well, it's easier. And I mean, you can do it on everything's online now because of this COVID thing. I mean, all the kids have virtual classes, you have virtual job interviews, that kind of thing. So, yeah, you can just get into people and they just uh chat back and forth and uh, there's several people like i want to learn english and you know we'll practice Arabic, for example and so you can go like that uh, i got i got the good advice straight from the horse's mouth was no dude you got to get a you got to get a colombian girlfriend <laughs> that's the only way you're gonna really get this down right <laughs> well you know that's interesting because uh i've heard i've had a, a number of people have come to know over the years uh, and, and the two that, that come up most predominantly were Russian and Mexican. And, um, and it's like, geez, man, that you speak pretty good English. I mean, that's pretty amazing. You know, how many years you've been here? You know, it's, whether it was two or three or five or whatever. It's like, how did you pick it up so well? And you know what they said? They learned it the hard way, kind of like what you're talking about. And I said, well, how's that? They said, watching American TV every day. I said, really? Soap operas, dude. Yeah. Soap operas. Yeah, they said. That's the the key to the castle. Yep. They watch that stuff every day, every day, and then engage and listen. Like you said, they they just would listen to the conversations. And I said, wow. You know, and they said, yeah, it's kind of like your your brain swells for a few weeks. But, (laughs) you know. Yeah, yeah. uh, but that's the way to learn it. I mean, I mean, if, if we get right down to it, I mean, it doesn't hurt to, you know, to get the basics um, through a course or a language course. Um, but you're really only going to learn, like you, like we're talked about, becoming fluent if you do that, right? Immerse yourself in it. Well, you know, I, I look at it, and I've taught Spanish classes for law enforcement, okay? Hmm. And it's you don't learn as a child you don't learn a language by learning verbs and adjectives and pronouns right 
you learn it by doing it. Right. So it's the same kind of thing. So uh, that's the, that's really the way to do it. So you're, you're looking at this, uh, like, for example, one of the big things, you watch Netflix, right? And then you put, let's say it's French, you put French subtitles. So you're getting kind of like a, a double whammy of, uh, on the subconscious hmm. that's going on. And okay. you're, you're listening to it the way people the way people tell it, right? The way they actually talk in a conversation. They're not slowed down. They're not sped up. They use contractions. They use slang. And so you get the real deal hmm. where if you uh, – it's like my, my, my older kid, she, uh, she doesn't speak Spanish. And so she's, she's – but she's taking Spanish in school. And she says, gosh, Daddy, it's just, it's just so hard. And I go, what do you mean? She says, well – you know, in, in school, we're all learning, you know, all the verbs and how to conjugate the verbs. And, and I'm just three beats behind in a conversation. I go, well, how about enjoying the conversation, right? Hmm. And uh, just like you did when you're a kid, like a little kid that's that's three years old, two years old, you could tell them, honey, come here and they'll come. You know, they understand right. you completely. Now, they not may not be able to conjugate that sentence. They may not be able to answer back, but they've already got a portion of it down they've got the understanding if you get the understanding you're just over the hump to start talking and and then it's just a matter of getting the base and cleaning it up and adding to it right right wow you know that's that's a that's a great way to put it you know um human observation uh we talk about that in security you know uh use your eyes and your ears observe <laughs> you know uh, yeah. and 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 that's what you're talking about is basically observing to learn a language um, we call it yeah, we call yeah. it immersion, call it whatever you want, but that's what you talk about, just basically paying attention, huh? Yeah, you just get in on the thing, and and, and uh, you tell people, hey, I'm I'm just learning, and normally, and it doesn't matter where it's at or what language, they just jump in to help you. Huh. They just jump in to help you, and everybody wants to learn English. Everybody, oh, you know, like I'm talking. <laughs> I've got people like, wait, when the hell are you speaking English to me? And they go, well, there's no English speakers around here. You're the only one, and I want to practice. Okay, right. fine. Like, but your your freaking English is great. Where'd you learn it? I just watch TV all the time. Wow. And, and man, I mean, they speak really well. You haven't had any kind of classes? Nope, nope. I just watch TV, and wow. I'm like, oh my god. I mean, people that have just watched TV for three years. And and they they speak almost flawless English. Isn't that amazing? And then I've got and then I've got you know my my wife's in the states for eleven years. She doesn't speak any English at all. Because, <laughs> you know, you didn't really make an effort, right? So you stayed in, she stayed in a circle where everybody spoke Spanish. She watched the Spanish channels on TV, and so kind of unfortunately, and and I love her, but pissed away a great opportunity. Right. And. Or you get somebody else, it's just like they're just chattering away and, and just like, wow, man, you're like really happening. Did you go to private school or something? Nope, nope, I just watch TV and drink beer and go, you got it, buddy. <laughs> TV and beer. <laughs> oh, um, hey, i got to ask you, uh, and you and I have probably talked about this, but uh, I, never, I never asked it this way. But for the folks that are listening, there's got to be some uh, your experiences down there. Um, there's got to be some uh, frustrating moments and some delightful moments. Uh, do you care to share any of those, uh, you know, most frustrating moments and why, and those most delightful moments and why, in your in your work down there? Gosh, frustrating would absolutely have to be the bureaucracy, hmm. because um, gosh, you get well. For example, just just this contract that I'm just finishing now. It's it's just ending, so. You have the State Department, and then you have INL, then you have the company that I'm working for. 
and then you have an INL liaison for Mexico, and the academy directors, then their liaison with the instructors. And so you got about hmm. six different levels where things can get dorked up, and they can and do. Hmm. And, and, you know, my experience has been normally the, the, the gringos say, yeah, hey, I, I screwed the pooch on that. Sorry, what do we got to do to fix it? But the culture there is like, well, it wasn't me. That wasn't my job, you know, so it never gets, it never gets fixed. It never gets fixed because people are, you know, uh, rightfully afraid they're going to get fired or, you know, castigated or something, you know. Huh. And so just like, oh, you know, hey, we don't really care. Let's just see what we can, you know, who can help us now. And so that's, that's frustrating. Hmm. Um, I would say the, oh, the admin people being completely, utterly out of touch of what, police training is you know the rubber gun thing i i told you about mm. as an example okay and even like for what was <laughs> we were going to do a vehicle takedowns okay so we got a uh we've got a suspect vehicle and then we have two police so we need three cars okay guys so round us up three cars so we can do this and they go well, we haven't got any cars available and why don't you have any cars available i mean this this thing's been planned for for goddamn six months mm. and i said well you know uh, some of them are out on patrol and some are broken and why are they why haven't what's your maintenance well you know the guy didn't work out so it's just this cascade of incompetence <laughs> right and so okay so what do, how are we going to do the car portion so we got to either normally shuffle it around to a to a different time in the class when we can do it uh, because we're not allowed to use our own rental vehicles for obvious reasons mm. and they said well can you get some like toy cars and just show them how to position them and everything mm. And I'm like, I'm like, you're, you're shitting me, right? I mean, <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking about armed felony takedowns and possibly having a shootout and using your cars as, as barriers. And you want me to use plastic cars? Because they don't know. They say, right. well, I don't know. I, don't know. Huh. I thought that might be a good idea. And I go, you know, I think it's a great idea, but the portion for the plastic cars would be about two minutes. Then we need a real car. Right. So, yeah, so, <laughs> right, kind of like the like show that. and tell on the desktop. That that that's fine, just to give you the idea. But to actually well, go out there and do yeah. the practical yeah. exercise, we need the real things. It's the difference between drawing a room entry on a chalkboard than going and doing it. Right, right. Yeah, a lot of there's a lot of difference between right. those two. You know, they, they have a small relationship. <laughs> you know, but, so you know that kind of thing. And and I think probably for me the most satisfying thing that uh, really two of them, the friendships I've made, because I've, I've, I've made friendships down there with these guys. I mean, they're literally crying and hugging you when you leave. Hmm. And, and these are tenured. These are like, you know, Lieutenant Colonels, Colonels, people that are you know, very tenured wow. uh, police uh, administrators and officers. And then also um, it's been very satisfying to get emails and pictures and stuff from our former students of like, Hey, what what you guys taught us saved my life yesterday. We're in a shootout. Hmm. You know, saved my life. I just um, last year, and it hasn't even been six months. We had uh, three guys that were our personal security detail when we were in, in in northern Mexico, and they they got ambushed, and one of them was killed, and um, one of the others was wounded. And and they told he says, hey, you know, my buddy fell right beside me. It was it was horrible. But I'm telling you, what you guys taught us saved me and my the other guy. Hmm. You know, so thank you. And, and and we get tons of those all the time. Wow. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So you you know you're making an impact because when you're teaching 
American police, um, you know, their fear is their next lawsuit, right, or their next internal affairs thing because they they pissed somebody off because they didn't do a gender neutral uh, conversation. Hmm. You know, when we're in Latin America, we're talking about people going out and getting in a firefight literally within the next 30 days. Wow. So, you know, the the intensity is is completely ramped up in comparison. Right. It's a whole different world. It's a whole different world, right? Yeah. Well, you know, you're. You're, you're talking, for example, um, now you got to start your basics and everything, and I get it, I'm, I'm speaking about firearms. But, okay, so we're punching paper target at, uh, at 21 feet. Okay, super. And, but with these guys, we're doing, like, uh, you know, weapons transition. We're doing wounded arm, you know, reloads, that kind of thing. Hmm. We're doing, you know, moving, you know, bounding and overwatch. The, you, really, a, a lot of straight infantry stuff because... Huh. Combat is combat, man. You know, right. so uh, <laughs> no matter what, what uniform you're wearing, and so it's uh, we take it very seriously. And so when we get those positive results like that that save someone's lives, it's very, it's very satisfying. Huh? So you know that that's an interesting contrast uh, that you drew uh, the difference here between uh, you know well things have taken a big change here in the last you know one to four years uh, in terms of yeah. the police thing. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it's, you know, it's a dangerous job in the States. Um, it's just a different kind of dangerous outside the States. Um, I don't want to use the term lawless, but I mean that for lack of a better term, that's kind of what it's feels like sometimes out there, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, well, it's, it's rapidly going like that in, in the U S too, um, for political reasons, but in, in, in Latin America, it's um, you get particularly in Mexico. Uh, out, out of and Latin America is a huge huge place. I mean, it's a whole continent. But um, you get some really really violent areas. Hmm. And as a matter of fact, just a few days ago, there was 13 police officers killed in a shootout in in Michoacan. Wow. And they were they were just attacked by um, you know the cartel guys. Now, if you were watching the news and somebody said hey, we had uh, 10 American servicemen killed in Afghanistan. People go, oh, shit, man, it's still hot over there. But you get 13 cops killed in Mexico, so it doesn't even make the back page. Wow. Metaphorically speaking, you know. Right. Well, and, and, and that draws up, uh, you know, a lot of questions. But, uh, you know, I mean, it, 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 and concerns. It, it, it's, um, you know, I mean, I, I can understand people say, you know, I mean, I don't know, man. It, when I look around the world and it's like, you know, my heart, uh, you know, wants to reach out and help. But, you know, there's only so much you can do if, if the people themselves don't do something about it. Uh, but I mean, but that's got to be a tough situation. I mean, it's easy for me to say it. But if I but if you're one of if you're them, if you're a, if you're a national local there in Mexico, you know, and you're born and raised there in that culture, in that climate, it's got to be, you know, you understand things differently and, and, and you kind of know who the players are and you, and you don't really want to paint a target on your back. Um, and that must be the way a lot of those people feel, right? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a valid comment I do. And I, I see it now that I'm, I'm going to be working in some other countries in South America that um, not as overtly violent, but you'll get, for example, you'll have an embassy an embassy person where, you know, their reality are 
or reports and embassy cables and, and things they hear in the chat room. And it's like, well, what about the, um, you know, the crime? What do you know about the crime, for example, in Ecuador? And so you start talking about crime that's in Colombia, for example, or Peru, and they go, well, wait a minute, we're, we're talking about Ecuador. What does that have to do? And I go, because transnational criminal organizations don't recognize, a, you know, uh, the border. Hmm. You know, it's just an invisible line. They're, they're going to, and a lot of that's, you know, mountainous area, it's jungle area, forest, that kind of thing. So, you know, that's, that's where they hide, that's where they do their stuff. They have their, their uh, you know, transportation routes, you know, via there and, uh, you know, waterways, that kind of thing. So it's all connected. Hmm. You know, so when someone says, hey, well, what about the uh, the Sinaloa cartel? You know, Chapo uh, Guzman, so, you know, uh, before he got sent off to prison, you know, his his cartel. And uh, it doesn't seem like they have anything to do with, with Colombia or Singapore but, or, or, or Quito, Ecuador, but they sure do because it's transnational. Hmm. It's everywhere. And that's why the INL, the inter- that, uh, you know, the law enforcement agency, that's, uh, it's everywhere. Everywhere. Africa, Spain, Malaysia. Hmm. Central America, all all of it, you know, because it's it's a it's an international transnational criminal organization, right? And that's the I in the INL is international, right? And and that and that's I mean, quite literally internationally, you know. But that's interesting, you know. So so uh, you know the criminal organizations, and, and there's a lot of them out there. Um, and some of them are pretty big, and some of them have some. Uh, I'm not sure if. Uh, Renown is the right word, but uh, they they operate on a different basis and level, you know. And like I said, they don't recognize these borders. That to them, it, it's quite fluid and seamless. But a lot of government agencies don't operate that way. A lot of governments and countries, right? I mean, they recognize borders and they feel like they can't do anything because that's somebody else's country. It's a sovereign nation. They have different laws, different rules. And so we're trying to play by the rules. And the bad guys are saying, <laughs> I mean, is that basically what it is? They're laughing at us while, while they take us to the bank? Yeah. Well, what you, know, what you have now, there's, there's uh, joint agreements nowadays. So if something's going on and you have to go across the border and you take care of business, of course, you still have to deal with the, the local officials and, and, and for his prosecution and evidence and, and seizures and that kind of stuff. But um, it's, it would be the equivalent of, you know, we're in a, there's a crime occurring in this county and you drive across the county line and then you stick your tongue out at the police and go, hey, I made it across to the other county so you can go pound sand. So obviously just like you know when i was a cop there in uh in vancouver if we had a pursuit that went across the uh, the i-5 bridge into portland hey we, we st- it was still ours right huh. so um because you have a, a mutual agreement well they have you know international mutual agreements as well but not everybody is always on the same page you know you would think oh no you know like for example here in in colombia you get a you get a traffic ticket and if you don't pay the traffic ticket in the states, right, what well, comes up? Oh, it's flagged, so you got a warrant for your arrest because you didn't show up to court. And here, there's no database, so nobody ever pays their traffic tickets because they can't ever verify them. Hmm. And so it's you know the same kind of thing there. So you've got you know communications issues, you've got uh, uh, shared data, you've got update intelligence, you know, because um, a real high speed country is going to have you know. They're going to have human intelligence. They're going to have communication intelligence. They're going to have, you know, uh, SIGINT, everything like that, hmm. you know. But um, 
they, they haven't got this. So the, the, the bad guys just laugh. Now they've got that. They've got that intelligence. They have intelligence officers from Cuba, you know, that do mm. this stuff for them, Matt. So you know, they're dialed in. But, um, you know, so it's, it's, a, it's a little different along those lines. And uh, I think you just, you know, you just do the best you can with what you've got is what it amounts to because um, you have so many ways to get, you know, narcotics and people and weapons and, and everything in and out of countries. It's, it's just mind boggling. Hmm. So it, it, it's, it, it, I think I asked you this before, but I got to ask, you know, is there a, I mean, there, there, I'm sure at times there's a sense of frustration. Is there a sense of hopelessness or loss that is kind of like, you know, this is such an uphill battle. We'll never win it. I mean, do you, I mean, it, I think I asked you that earlier about other people that you've, I mean, is that the sense that a lot of agencies, a lot of people have? Or, I mean, is there still people saying, well, no, that's what they're saying, but we don't feel that way? Well, you know, my my opinion of that is it's kind of like, you know, and, and being respectful once again to anybody that might be listening, but it's just like police work. It's just like the war in Afghanistan. It's just like the war on drugs, hmm. which is this shit was here before I arrived. It'll be here when I'm gone. You know, I'm going to try to do my little part as best I can. If I make a, if I make a difference to even one person, hey, I'm ahead of the game. So, so if people like you, for example, let's say a thousand of guys like you, gals and, and other people around the world just said, you know what, we're going to go home and not do this anymore. It would still go on. The, 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 the job would still get done. It's just the guys like you wouldn't be there and they would just fill it with somebody else. I mean, because these people want to want – they want what they have. They they want to they want to make that change a difference or, or break up the bad guys. So it's it's. Uh, am I getting that right? It's it's not necessarily because you guys are there is why they're winning the battle. It helps because you have the the you know the knowledge and and the training and you and you can help them get the resources. But they want to do this right, so they're going to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, they do. But I think they get hamstrung by political uh, machinations. I'll give you a good example local is uh well seattle too but portland uh, the the goddamn place is burning for months on end and you got high, some of the highest uh qualified police uh available right there but nothing's happened because right. of political uh, machinations you know the the mayor oh we can't do that or we can't do this or this is federal and this is state and this is local we can't do that and and on and on and on and on and so huh. what happens the, the place burns down wow you know and that's a got, that's a great got, way, to, way to put it. You know, I never I never really thought well, I never really thought about it that way. Um, but that's a great way to put it. You know, and uh, I guess it was lost on me a lot. You know, until I went down to Seattle and drove through some of the affected areas, and then uh, worked down there in uh, in Oregon a couple times. And uh, people asked me, so what's it like down there? And I said, uh, kind of like what you've seen on the TV, but worse. <laughs> you know, because yeah, they don't give you the whole picture. <laughs> yeah. So- so, just so check this out. You've seen, and, and it's been all in the news, or had been in, in the, you know, the past few months, of those guys that were using uh, industrial grade lasers and shining them into the eyes of the of the uh, federal officers. Yeah, right? yeah. Okay, well, though you could shine those into your hand, it'll burn your hand. Okay? Really? So yeah, so they're that powerful. Now, use of force, lethal use of force, says that. If you, you know, the, the life of yourself or a third party is in danger or permanent disablement. Well, my book, Being Blind, is permanently being disabled. Right. So 
under federal law, federal statute and court cases, you would have the right to engage those people in lethal use of force, kill them, okay? Mm, right. But nobody did. Right. So, so, so like you said, it comes down to political will. Political reasons. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So it's just like if uh, if if a laser will blind somebody, and you're holding them down, sticking an ink pen in their eyes, going to blind somebody, and they both fit the criteria for justified lethal use of force. Can you shoot them? Sure. Yeah. Right. Right. Do you shoot them? No, can't do it. So. And there's people that are permanently blinded from those those uh, incidents. Wow, you know, and yeah, and and uh, man, I never really looked at it that that in that specific light as you just painted, but yeah, I mean that that really is what you. I mean, it really does just come down to the political will, and I guess it, it, it's it's probably pretty much the same way in every country. Then, right? I mean, it, it comes down to politics, who's in office, and and what they say you can and can't do. Yeah. Yeah, well, you have your you have your micro and your macro. So you, you like in the in the Portland thing, you said, uh, you know, you have the city, you have the county, and you have the state. So the government says the state guys come in, and you get to a point where the, the city guys and the county guys go, you know what, this is bullshit. We're we're just not going. Burn. Let's let the place burn. I'll bring the barbecue, <laughs> right? And and so and it's all and and I don't want to really get into the politics but it's all it's all trump it's all trump it's all trump well he, he's out of office now for three months right, right. and, and Port, portland is still burning right. right yeah because that's that's a political agenda of these anarchists so you know you get down to a point or do you have do you spout all this lip service to the rule of law or do do you apply that and you have law enforcement right right what do you do if you take handcuffs off if you're the uh, the governor, if you're the mayor, if you're the city council, yeah, it, fix it. Hell, you fix it in a few hours, hmm. you know. But if you don't, uh, it just burns. And so they've decided to let it burn, and they did up in, the same thing up in Seattle until there was a few a few homicides. Then decided, well, we got to shut this thing down now. Right. And so you have <laughs> the same thing, you know, internationally in these other countries, where you know, like like in Mexico, you have students protesting. All of a sudden, there's there's 50 people missing hmm. right and then you find them three years later in, in a mass grave and then you have the un that comes out and says hey you know what these people were murdered well hey no kidding <laughs> right no kidding right so you know those kind of things because it's it's uh it's political aspirations and huh. it's political connections and it's and it's corruption you know we talked a little bit about about the corruption like that like right now as, as we speak in mexico you know they're having elections coming up in uh, 2022, and so um, all these people—you see, so many of these people that are coming up from the state and local level, candidates, the candidates for change—and hmm. they're getting assassinated. Wow! So it's like little flowers coming up that's going to change, and they're snipping them off at the ground, right? They've—they've they've figured it out that you don't wait. You get a high-profile candidate that they might be able to take power away and change the very lucrative way things are going on that we'll just we'll just nip them in the bud quite literally huh yeah that's interesting because um you know they we've uh, used the term business as usual and uh i won't say which one but a certain political party here in america was talking about going back to normal business business as usual and that's basically what we're talking about 
Uh, I mean, I'm not going to dice words. Uh, call me out if you will, but... <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's so. I mean, it's the same thing around the world, whether it's in Mexico, Colombia, here in America, wherever. I mean, it it, it comes down to politics, and and that's, man, that's a great point, Mike. I, I just like I said, I just never really looked at it in that light. Um, let me shift. Yeah. Let me shift gears for 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 just uh, a moment, uh, and we're coming up on a wrap up on time on this. But uh, so, and you may have already touched upon this. But I, I want to ask you, what, if anything, um, has changed the way, from, from your perspective, uh, your experience, what's, what's changed, if anything? Has anything changed in the last one, three, five years? Uh, or, and if so, what and how? For the, and for the better or for the worse? Well, from what I can speak of in, in Mexico in particular, since I've worked there, I mean, I've had little, little gigs in other places, too is that it's got worse hmm. it's got worse it, clearly the the uh the homicide rate in mexico has got worse every single year that i've been there i mean when you're having like thirty thousand homicides a year you know it, it's uh you, you've got a bad thing going on wow <laughs> and you know they had like they had a uh, you know they have essentially federal state and municipal police and they started in the military, and in my opinion, the military is, 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 is harsh portions of it are very corrupt. Now, the Mexican Marines are just they're, they're stellar. Huh. They're just kind of above it all. You know, you hardly find any kind of corruption within the Mexican Marines. The Army is a different deal. But, um, you know, it's uh, they started a new thing, the National Guard. And the National Guard there is different than the National Guard you know, in the United States, the National Guard of the United States is just a reserve component, okay? And so they get federalized and they're off to war and that's it, but they're, they're, they're trained the same, they go to the same schools, hmm. that kind of thing. And, and depending on their, uh, their reserve status, they get called up or they, you know, particularly the National Guard, they, they use the governor for state, police, fires, bloods, that kind of thing. So, but the, the Guardia Nacional Mexico, there, they, formed them up and but they didn't know well we need these because we haven't got the police and i go okay well that's great so what are they are they police are they military are they something in between we don't really know well what's your chain of command who are they under you know who are they getting funded by where do they train who who provides their equipment and it was just this you know do they have police powers can they arrest can they detain can they can they interrogate Hmm. and nobody knew (laughs) nobody knew and now they finally just kind of They've kind of went over to, you know, they, they are a military component. They're housed at military bases. They use military vehicles and weaponry, hmm. and, and that's fine. But uh, initially, and, and they had some great success with them. They would just roll into town and um, essentially take over. Like, a, you know, we're running the town like martial law for a, for, a, for a town or a municipality, and they would take care of the people and the bad guys. Hmm. But they didn't even know what their role was. You know, so okay, huh. so we got this guy here, and uh, he's armed and he's selling drugs. So, so do we do we light him up with an AR on full <laughs> auto, or, or do we do we detain him and question him? We don't know. You know, huh. so um, you know they just talk about trial by fire, and so then, then you get all the legal ramifications of that. You know, it's like, well, hey, Corporal Snuffy, what are you supposed to do? And I, Hell, I don't know. Nobody told me. Well, that's that's not a good answer. You know, <laughs> and so. 
you know, but they, the point was like, Hey, we need, we need a, uh, uh, a force, a legal force right now. And we'll have to figure out all this other stuff later. And so, you know, and I was right in the middle of when that, that came on board hmm. and they were, uh, <clears throat> recruiting for them. We don't want anybody that had, that is prior military or prior police. They want brand new cherry people. And, and they had a, a height requirement and a weight requirement. So they, they, they were starting, you know, kind of out fresh. They were starting in the right direction. But, boy, they just kind of threw it against the wall and, and saw what's, what stuck. And, and now they're trying to get some direction, and it's kind of working out a little bit. But the, uh, the National Guard, um, to me, it's kind of a, a de facto uh, arm of the police. That's kind of what they're being used for. But they mm-hmm. are military. So kind of a yeah, this is a new twist and it's new for everybody. So trying to give a little bit more muscle to the police. Uh, how how does yeah. the local populace yeah. take to that? I mean, are, are they appreciative? Do they like it? Are they yeah. welcoming? Oh, they, they're, they're begging for them. They're begging for them. Huh? And you see, in in these countries down here, like where, where I live, we don't have posse comitatus like in the United States, right? Where you know the the military does police uh, work, does police um, responsibilities. Now you have some. For example, the Department of the Navy is exempt from that. So what is in the Department of the Navy? The Navy and the Marine Corps and the reserve components. And, and I'm not really sure nowadays with the Coast Guard because that's what the homeland it used to be with uh, transportation. But um, the active Army and the active Air Force camp, hmm. however, and, and the, uh, the active uh, and the reserve components, but the Army Guard and the Air Guard can. Huh. So you do, you know, uh, uh, police type work because I've done it. You know, I've done it on dope ops when I was in the National Guard. Huh. And so, but down here they don't they don't have an issue with that. You don't have an issue with posse comitatus. So you have uh, you'll have like a soldier, and I've talked to him like we're at a fair, essentially a county fair, and these guys are walking around with a slung uh, galil on their back, right? And I'm like, so what are you guys doing here? And they go, well, essentially, you know, we go to boot camp. And then we go to school, whatever you're going to do, and then we get deployed and we either go to the go to the jungle, we get some trigger time, or we do duty like this, or we're training, or we're augmenting the police. So let's say you have a bad neighborhood, you know, a lot of violent crime and everything, and the police just can't can't take care of it. They send in they'll send in a, uh, a platoon of soldiers, hmm. and they roll with them, and they'll stay there until things calm down. Then they'll leave, and there's not a issue between military and police is just not an issue at all not an huh. issue in the courts an issue with the population and so you talk to these guys and i said well how did you guys end up at uh you know the fair and they go well we we, we did good it's kind of like this is you know easy work and others they'll be at a like a for example you know new year's and you have dui stops well they'll have cops out there as well as soldiers and and then the rest of them either in garrison or training or something but they rotate around hmm because, you know, the only thing as far as other countries right now that, that Colombia is doing, at least overtly, is on the border with Venezuela because of that terrible situation that's going on there. Hmm. Yeah, you know, you and I uh, were talking about those sorts of things uh, earlier. Um, <clears throat> those have a spillover effect, right? What's uh-huh. what, yeah, they have a spillover effect in, in, in the country you're in and in other countries, Mexico, and as it makes its way up north. I mean, and and, the, and those and those are those are exploited 
by these criminal organizations and other corrupt sort of entities, correct? Oh, oh, yeah. Well, I'll give a good example right now. The big thing in Mexico, I'm even seeing it here, are uh, fake COVID vaccines, right? So they'll hijack a shipment, you know, or they, they bribe an official and they'll have, you know, 5,000 doses of this uh, COVID vaccine and they swap it out for sterile water and then they sell it on the black market. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> Talk about opportunity, huh? Holy crap. Yeah, never, never, never let a good crisis go to waste. <laughs> Yeah, wow, that seems to be the, the rally cry um, in a lot of places. Wow, okay. Uh, yeah, I, it's, oh, man, I, you know, uh, that's got to, I'm just saying, you you know, the job you're talking about uh, and, and the, you know, that are, the, you know, specifically the job you're doing and then the other jobs around the periphery, I mean, just that job in general, police-type, law enforcement-type work, that's got to be a pretty tough job sometimes, you know, um, especially when you're constrained or hamstrung, right? I mean, because it seems like it's there's just an awful lot to it. Um, it's not quite as straightforward and cut and dry as, say, a military action or private security, you know, where you pretty much, you know, have your, your rules and, 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 you know, that law enforcement thing's got to be a whole, I mean, that's got to be a, geez, I'm not even sure I can think of the right words. I mean, that. Horse of a different color is yeah. the only thing I can come up with, man. <laughs> I mean, well, and, and, you see, and you see people getting killed for it. You see it in the States. I've seen it for years now and down there. Uh, so, for example, the, the classic one, uh, guy coming at you with a knife, okay? And you've got your weapon. Let's say you already got your weapon out, so you're lucky. And you're telling them to drop the weapon, lay on the ground, and they're not compliant. So you get to a certain range where they're, they're going to stab you to death. That's it. Cut and dry. And so, you know, do you shoot them? And the thing is, there's been interviews and interviews with people that have survived these stabbings and, and shootings. And what was going on in your mind in that incident? And it was getting sued and getting fired. Wow. It was not saving my life. Now, you're talking and about cops, law enforcement type, right? I am. I am, yeah. Right. Three patrol officers, patrollers. And I've been in two of those, right, guys with knives. And, and uh, I killed both of them. Because I, I, I didn't come from that background, right? I wasn't just like, hey, you know, sir, put it down, put it down, put it down. His intent is obvious. Right. He's screaming, I'm going back to prison, and he's coming at with a big-ass knife. So, you know, my, <laughs> my rules in my mind are pretty straightforward. Right. Right? And so, but nowadays, there's been so many people. I mean, I, I, you can see videos of these guys in the middle of a firefight. Sir, stop shooting at me. Sir, stop trying to kill me. Sir, and well, hey, the talking's done, man. Right. The talking. And so, you know, but you see that, and, and I'm really seeing that in, uh, you know, particularly in Mexico now. Really? The, the, you know, I could just walk up and shoot the cop in the face because they're just like, please, please don't do this. And I said, no, dude, when you, when, you pull that, when you pull that weapon out, it's business time. The talk is all over. It's not to threaten people. Right. Right. Okay? It's kind of like, you know, when you have to go to lethal force, that is your only option at that particular moment. Yeah. Right. That's uh, that's it. Yeah. Well, it, so I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just but that mentality is like a cancer now, hmm. and people are getting are, are getting killed from. 
Yeah, well, yeah, and apparently, uh, and, and I'm sure it's it's underreported here in America and probably goes unreported outside of America unless, for some reason, some uh, political faction, you know, says, hey, that feature fits our nice, tidy agenda. Let's, let's put it out there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, that I remember uh, that was something that I occasionally think about, but it was hammered upon uh, – when I first got into security, it was kind of like, you know, if you're going to, you don't have to carry a gun if you don't want to. Nobody says you have to be armed, okay? But if you are, you got to think about these. And he went through this whole continuum, kind of like what you're talking about. You better be ready, you know. And, and you know, I mean, I know I am. I, I see that stuff almost daily. It's like, dude, what are you waiting for? <laughs> you know, you waiting for him to wrap oh, it up and, yeah. and put a bow on it and hand it to you? <laughs> Oh, my God. I, I feel so sorry for, for for some of these guys. I really do. I mean, I really, I almost want to cry sometimes when I see and hear some of these stories. It's like, man, you know, I mean, def- I can't imagine being in that situation. I've walked away from situations where it's like, I'm not going to play, I'm not going to play this game, you know. And, and you know, I've, I've quit and or been fired because I was like, no, I'm not going to play those stupid games, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh I, I, yeah, that's 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 got to be a tough one, man. Um, you know, I think I asked you this before. What, you know, the uh, what's that? Um, oh, Soldado was the the sequel. What was the first one? You know about the, the oh yeah yeah Sicario. Yeah, so I mean, you know, a lot has been made about it, and occasionally I, I, it comes up in conversation with guys that I know. Um, is is I'm not saying that movie but i mean that kind of i mean is that the kind of stuff that that i mean you can say yeah some of that is real some of that stuff really does happen i mean that's that's a that's a you know i mean can you say that's is that kind of like what it i don't know how else to put well, it i mean is, is it kind of yeah. like that yeah i can only speak from my personal experience okay and speaking from that i would say it's spot on hmm. wow Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there you have it, folks. Well, yeah, it, yeah, it is. Like, well, it's um, you don't see. Well, it's it's real common. You don't you don't see it here in, in Colombia. In Colombia, there's a lot of motorcycle cops, two two man uh, motorcycles, and uh, you know. But in Mexico, it's you you know pickup trucks, and you've got you know four guys in the back, and everybody's armed to the teeth with balaclavas on. That that's just it. that's normal. Hmm. That's normal. And um, everybody's got a long gun. Like in the States, you may have a long gun in your patrol vehicle, normally an AR, sometimes a shotgun and an AR. But everywhere in Mexico in particular, you know, the, the long gun is your primary weapon. Hmm. Wow. You know, speaking of which, I can't help but hear the, uh, the sirens in the background. Uh, you're supposed to be in a relatively safe area, aren't you? Well, it's not coming from my area. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Oh, so wait a minute. Is that coming through the windows where I'm at? Yeah, it must be because oh. there's nothing going on here. <laughs> Goodness. Well, for the folks that are listening, I neglected to mention that I'm, I'm doing this remotely out of a hotel room. Um, and I'm six or seven floors up in a fairly well-insulated room. So this must be <laughs> okay. Maybe I better make sure my doors are locked and my weapons are at the ready. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, there you go. Okay, so hey, I tell you what, Mike. Um, 
I, I would love to continue this conversation, um, and 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 when when we're done with this, um, unless you've got a book, um, I, I uh, if you can stick around just for a minute or two after we're done with this, um, and I'd like to invite you again back at some point uh, down the road in the future, um, so we can uh, continue this conversation. Just some great. Great stuff and valuable information, I think, uh, for the folks that are listening. Um, so as we wrap this up and bring it to a close, um, can, what what uh, additional words, sage advice, or, or, or words of wisdom uh, would you like to uh, leave people with? Well, you know, uh, I'm seeing, and we've talked about political considerations uh, in, in regard to contracting, and, you know, you've got, oh, like some of your, Iraq and Afghanistan, some of the others kind of winding down with, with, the, with the military drawdown. But I'm telling you, I'm seeing a lot of work coming around in, in Africa in particular and in Latin America. So I think that hmm. if guys are looking and, and they, they shake up their network and talk to their, their, their friends and cohorts, you know, there, there's work out there. So I think I'd have to say, you know, uh, develop and uh, stay in touch with your network. You know, because there's there's work out there if you wanna if you wanna work or you wanna go back to work. I know a lot of the, the guests you've had on on your show have, have done their their contracting days and they're kind of done. But if there's people that are interested in, in starting up fresh or, or or coming back, you know, I think there's work out there. Right. Well, yeah, I would agree with that. There, there is work. I mean, I'm starting to see it and read it and hear it from guys. And uh, I won't go into detail, but I got a I got a, a friend of mine that's that's trying to get me back over to the sandbox. <laughs> I think I told you about that offline. It's like, oh crap, <laughs> you know. I didn't realize he he. I didn't realize uh, he took me seriously. <laughs> so now now I may end yeah. up going just out of pride. But uh, uh, no, that's that, that's good. That's good advice. Uh, there, there, I, and I think I I've told a couple guys. I said I see it coming, man. Before this year's out, I think we're going to be right back in it. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's kind of a sad quandary to be in because, uh, we don't, you know, if, if you've been there and you've seen it, uh, you know, some guys, you know, they, they like it. It's just, it, it's a weird thing. They, they, they like it. Uh, I mean, we like the lifestyle. We like what we do. We like the work. Obviously we like the money, but I don't like seeing people getting hurt, you know, and, and, oh. and, and I'm not looking forward to war. I'm not a warmonger. I mean, if it comes my way, you know, I'm not going to hesitate, but I'm just saying it's uh, with this, you know, it's, it's, it's business, man, is what it comes down to. We're, 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 we're the business end of failed politics. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think well, well said. yeah. And, and, you know, I think that um, for, for a lot of people, well, I think if you've been in the military before, particularly in a, in a, in combat arms uh, type of a specialty, that it's, you know, the austerity and long hours and stuff is not going to be a, a wacky as hard as someone that hasn't. But, you know, I think it'd just be wise, you know, get in, work four or five years. You know, you work your ass off for four or five years. You pay everything off. You buy a little apartment. You have a quarter million dollars in the bank and you call it a day and look for something else, you know. But then there's a portion of people that, you know, you, you kind of get addicted to that lifestyle and, and that money. And, uh, you know, you, adrenaline's your drug of choice. And, and I'm, I'm in that group. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm happy there. So. <laughs> right. Well, and, that, and that, I guess that's, that's that side of it, is that you enjoy it, you're happy with it, you're content, uh, whatever the word is. I mean, it's just, you know, you're not, because uh, I have talked to guys that are still doing it 15, 20 years later, and it's kind of like you kind of, it's kind of like they really don't want to. 
um, you know, and, and you feel for them. But it's kind of like – then there's the guys like you just mentioned. They enjoy it. They want to keep doing it. Um, they're still getting something out of it. They're still – they're deriving a sense of satisfaction, and I sense that uh, you're getting that same thing still. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm happy with it. I mean, of course, you, know, you got the good and bad in anything, and particularly when you're dealing with – with companies and contracts and governments and everything. So thing, particularly this last year, it's just been, it's just been a soup sandwich. It's just been bad, <laughs> but um, you know, what, what do you, what do you get? It's been bad for everybody, you know, not just contractors, right. but um, so what are you going to do? But um, right. yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm still happy with it. And uh, it's nice. Um, you know, we haven't ever spoken about age, but it, it, in the States, Man, I mean, if you got gray hair, you're like damaged fruit. Nobody's gonna, you know, nobody's gonna <laughs> hire you for, you know. But but a, a lot of times you can still get on these contracts and and make very good money, and you're very well respected, and you feel like you're doing something important. So it's it's a, a nice feeling, at least it is from my perspective. Well, you know, okay, and and uh, so uh, that's something that we kind of touched on earlier, and and has been brought up before. You know, and I remember, Mike, the first time I heard that, when that was became a, a topic of discussion, how, you know, like, oh, man, I don't know, uh, 13, 14, 15 years ago, it was kind of like somebody was asking, is there anybody out there this age doing it? And somebody from an HR department responded, yeah, we got guys in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and they're doing a great job. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think the, the point where... The, I'm trying to make that I think you were making is that just because you've got some wider gray hair doesn't mean you don't have something to offer. You do. You have a lot more to offer than you probably realize because you have that gray or white hair. You've been around a while. You've seen and heard stuff. <laughs> um, and, and you know, you've learned from experience and that's valuable commodity experience. Um, so, yeah, I'd agree. I was just listening to one of your guests, and he was saying, uh, I remember him saying how he was always the oldest guy when you go to the class to spin up before you get deployed. Yeah. Because I'm 20 years old than everybody else, but people look at you and go, you know, you're in a dangerous gig, and you're still here. Right. <laughs> so you have to say something. Right. Yeah. No, I think it says an awful lot. Uh, you know, uh, I had one person refer to it as being a survivor. You know, um, however you want to dice it. I mean, that's what it comes down to, whether it was blind luck or otherwise. But, uh, yeah. Well, my friend, uh, we're going to put the wraps on this. Um, so, if you, again, if you can hang on for a minute when we're done, I'd appreciate it. Uh, so, with that said, folks, I want to thank uh, my guest, Mike Morton, for making time out of his day to share his experiences and talk with me here on Oconus the Contractor's Life. I want to thank uh, patriots and warriors everywhere who've done what they've done in service to their country, our country, and others, uh, wherever that was. And thank all the people um, I've come to know over the years who've helped make this podcast what it is, the listening audience for taking time out of your day to tune in and listen to this episode, because uh, without you, none of it really matters. Uh, so with that said, folks, remember that the grass is not always greener on the other side. Be careful what you wish for. Stay frosty, stay safe. Until next time, keep it real.